Good morning, church. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. It's so good to be here with you today. Um, I want you to know that, that God loves you, and I love you too. When I was a teenager, I, I wanted to go into to ministry. I didn't know exactly what that would mean. I, I just, I, I didn't know if I'd be a pastor. I didn't know if I'd be a youth director. I'd do something else. I, I really didn't know what the options were and where God would lead me. But there was nothing I wanted to do more than to help people know Christ. I, I wanted more than anything else to point people to Jesus because he's the hope for all of us, right? All the time. But, but I remember as, even as a teenager, I was a 16-year-old, and I, I had a fear. And it's still one of the greatest fears that I even have today. I fear that I'll get in the way. I, I fear that, that I'll say something that distracts from the gospel. I, f- I fear that I'll say or do something that just wasn't, that's heard in such a way that, that, that I honestly didn't intend. I, I fear that I'll be a, a stumbling block for people to grow in Christ. That's, that's my fear. And so, so honestly, guys, last Sunday I was up here preaching and, and I talked about servant leadership, imitating Jesus, and that's, that's the path that we're supposed to walk. That's the path the Bible calls out and says we're supposed to walk that. We're supposed to imitate Christ. We're supposed to follow him. We're supposed to take up our cross. And, and in the message, I shared two possible ditches on either side of the path. I, I gave a few illustrations about what those ditches may look like. Not in everybody's life, but they, they could look like in our lives. And, and through the week, it was brought to my attention, and I'm really grateful for this, that some of those illustrations were heard from a, from a painful perspective. P- possibly because of past experiences or strains some have had in the church. For, for example, let me give you an example. In the sermon, I, I talked about a, a few older folks who I've encountered in the past in a different church, and, and, and they shared strong opinions about things, and they, they didn't want to engage and, and be part of the solution to their concerns. And I, and I just want to share with you, I sure wasn't thinking that that characterizes all older people. That is not my mindset. As I've said many times before, I love the wisdom, I love the life experience, I love the perspective that older people bring. Some of my best friends are older people. And, and, and so I, I understand that some who heard this, they may have felt like I was looking with disrespect on older people. I wasn't, I don't, and that wasn't my intent at all. A- another example would, would be a person who's feeling like, like they're in a follower sort of role in a given situation. I heard a little bit, bit of feedback that, that a few felt like I was telling them that the that the Bible says that, that you just need to suck it up and obey and be quiet, even if somebody has a question or even if, somebody, if there's sin going on. And that is honestly so far from what I was trying to communicate. In, in preaching, I, I, I aim, don't do it perfectly, but I aim to imitate Christ. But I understand that, that there were a few, there were some who heard something different. And that's not my heart or desire at all. I really do love you guys. And I'm, and I'm sorry for, for, for a few. My words were heard in a way that it wasn't what I intended. I, I, I feel like for some, maybe, maybe because of different people's lenses through certain experiences or hurts, 
And very unintentionally on my part, I, I felt like it's possible that I got in the way so that some may not have been able to hear the gospel. And that breaks my heart, honestly. It's one of the greatest fears I have as a pastor. And, and it's been a fear of mine since the very beginning because the Bible actually conveys some pretty lofty expectations of pastors. Some, some of you guys are aware of this, you know this. They're, they're outlined in, in 1 Timothy 3, and Titus 1, and Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 5, uh, other places. In fact, over the years, I've, I, when I've had conversations with people to pray about possibly eldering, being in leadership in the church, joining a staff role, one, one of the most common responses I get is, I don't think I can live up to those expectations. Like, a lot of the time, I get that response. And the truth is, you can't. Nobody can. Elders, church leaders, and staff are imperfect pastors. E even when we look all the way back to the early first century church, we see a group of imperfect pastors. And so today, what I want to do, and, and we're going to do this next week as well, we're going to look at this. Uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, and so if you want to open up there, that's where we're going to end up, uh, but, but we're going to go on a little bit of a journey to get there, and, and so we're going to look at part of this this week, and then, and then part of this next week. Um, 1 Peter was written by Peter. If you've been in the church for a while, if you read your Bible, you probably know who Peter is. He was one of Jesus' disciples, spending day after day with Jesus for several years, like he was immersed with Jesus. And he had ups and downs on his spiritual walk, but ultimately he was commissioned to serve as a pastor elder. I, I, I want to take you just on a journey to review Peter's life a little bit. In, in Matthew 16, we see Peter confessing Jesus as the Christ, and then, and then Jesus, he comes to Peter and he says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's Matthew 16, 18. After this, Jesus, he tells his disciples that they're going to suffer, or Jesus is going to suffer. P Peter, he, he pulls Jesus aside, if you remember this in, the, in Matthew 16, and Peter rebukes Jesus. Find me, Satan. Peter looks at Jesus, and he, he looks at him, and he confronts him with the words, get behind me, Satan. Heavy words. Now, now, following this interaction, Jesus gives his disciples a vision for servant leadership as he tells them, as they shared last week, to deny themselves and to take up their cross and to follow him. That's the path for servant leaders. If we fast forward a little bit, just before Jesus' betrayal, do you remember what happened with Peter? He, he and some of the other disciples, they, they fell asleep when Jesus asked them to be praying Guys, this was like the most crucial time in which to be attentive, to pray, and to ask God for help. But, but there he is with the other disciples, the guy who's supposed to run point in this church building effort, the guy who's supposed to be the leader, he's asleep. And, and Jesus, he comes to Peter and he says, so could you not watch with me one hour can, can you imagine how disheartening that was for everybody? 
And, and not only that, when, when Jesus' betrayers come, Peter turns to violence and he cuts off a man's ear. Like the emotions are just leading him to act and react. And finally, when Peter or Jesus is arrested, he's brought to trial, Peter, he's, he's identified by someone who was with Jesus. Many of you know how it goes. Peter denies Jesus. Again, someone connects Peter with Jesus, and Peter denies it. Another person accuses Peter of being one of Jesus' followers, and Peter puts his foot down, and he says, that's not true. That's the heart of what he said in his denial. Guys, this is horrible. Everything feels like it's falling apart. This is the guy who's supposed to run point for building the church and, and gathering people and having unity. And after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus is with his disciples after breakfast and he calls Peter over. And he says, Simon, son of John, do, do you love me more than these? And Peter answered him by saying, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus responds, feed, feed my lambs. Jesus didn't stop there. A second time, Jesus asked, Simon, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, tend my sheep. Twice wasn't enough. He goes a third time. And Jesus says, Simon, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then Jesus goes on to say, these words will be on the screen in John 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Guys, Peter's life was no longer about himself. Jesus was calling him to be a servant leader. Jesus was calling Peter to suffer with Christ by drinking his cup. And it's through this interaction that Peter comes to Jesus. Peter follows Jesus. Peter sees Jesus as the great shepherd, and he runs to Christ because he wants to be shepherded. He needs it, and he knows it. And so under the headship of Jesus, Peter, he serves in this role of pastor elder. We, we see how he boldly preaches in Acts chapter 2. Acts 2 tells us that, that those who heard, were some, some were convicted of their sin. They were cut to the heart, the scripture says. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for God's people through preaching of the word. God convicts our hearts, and it may feel like suffering because it's hard. And God, he used Peter to preach boldly the word of God. But Peter wasn't a perfect pastor. In fact, in, even after all of this, in, Gal in Galatians 2.11, we remember that, that Paul, he opposes 
Peter because Peter is stuck on this idea that all the Gentile believers who are coming to know the Lord, they need to be circumcised and start aligning with the Jewish ways. Peter's pride causes him to forget that the gospel truth, uh, the gospel truth of, of justification by faith alone, not by works. The, 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 the Gentiles, they don't have to start acting like Jews, as Peter felt like they did. And he gets rebuked by another pastor elder for it. Fast forward again, it's the 60s AD and Peter, he writes his first letter. In the letter, he reminds God's people of their identity in Christ through the gospel. He talks to them about living out the gospel in their choices that they make, the relationships that they have. And, and then he warns them. Most, most of the letter is about, there's a theme, he warns them about suffering in the flesh, just as Christ did. Because to imitate Christ as a servant leader does require suffering in some way, shape, or form. And so Peter, he, he says in 1 Peter 4.13, that when we share in Christ's sufferings, the goal is rejoicing and being glad when God's glory is revealed. That we pray and say, God, anoint me with joy because I know your glory is coming, even in the midst of hardship. And then in verse 19 of chapter 4, he says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, this word, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And so what does this tell us? It tells us that, church, we're, we're to trust God in our suffering as servant leaders who seek to imitate Christ. And so when, when you're going through the ringer, that's exactly what it feels like sometimes. God gives us a welcome. He invites us in and he says, lay yourself down before me. Surrender yourself to me completely. And then in the very next sentence, if you're following along in 1 Peter, Peter, he turns and he shares these words right out of verse 19 there. He says, in chapter 5, so exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So he's talking to the elders and he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not, not for shameful gain, but, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. And then in verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So what I want you to do here is keep in mind, keep in mind, this isn't as much about elders as it is going through suffering and what God wants to do in our lives. Keep in mind that Peter, keep in mind the context, Peter is the same guy who rebuked Jesus. He, he, he falls asleep praying just before Jesus goes to the cross. And when the rubber meets the road, he denies that he even knows Jesus. The guy he spent almost every day with for several years. And then in the midst of his ministry, his pride, it causes him to forget that people are justified by faith alone. Guys, this is one imperfect pastor. But listen, listen as well. Peter learned 
I think, the most important lesson of a servant leader. This is what makes Peter, in all his imperfections, a good pastor elder. Peter goes to Jesus. And not only that, he he points people to Jesus. He takes people to Jesus with him. Peter runs to be shepherded. And, And Peter urges others to run to the great shepherd, Jesus Christ himself. Peter doesn't take him to other men. He takes him to Jesus. And Peter knows firsthand through his own experiences that the enemy is crafty. This comes out in in chapter 4 of 1 Peter. The enemy wants nothing more than for God's people not to look to God, but instead to blame and to accuse. And, and, And the enemy takes joy in seeing God's people waffle around in suffering and hardship on their own while not seeking Christ. Guys, Peter, he, he tells us that elders, they pastor as servant leaders by shepherding and overseeing God's people. This is the most important aspect of pastoring by, by the elders. It, it's to go to Christ and, and to point people to Christ. That's what servant leaders do. Just, to, just as Peter went to Jesus... Servant leaders come to Jesus, elders come to Jesus, and they take people to Jesus. So here's the question, where where do we turn when we're seeking to imitate Christ and walk that path through servant leadership? Yet we run into adversity. The, The Bible gives us the answer here. The Bible says, turn to God and turn to your elders who are pastor you. Look again at the text. Peter writes about suffering as a Christ follower, suffering in God's will. <coughs> and then verse 19, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Peter's saying, trust God. Trust God in such a way that you know that God is big enough. Have confidence that God, he will handle this. It may not be the way you do it. It may not be in your time. But God will handle this. And then in the very next verse, 1 Peter 5, 1, Peter begins to exhort the elders to shepherd God's people to do it well. And in verse 5, Peter tells us, it's God's people, I'm one of them, to be subject to the elders. Another translation says, accept the authority of the elders. Ultimately, what what Peter's telling us here is that the help we need while suffering is in trusting in God. That's the foundation. That's the help we need when we face hardship and suffer. And and then God, he, he gives us elders as a tangible gift of grace to shepherd us to Christ. Again, not perfect, but they're, but they're pointing us to Jesus, just as they need to be pointed to Jesus. And so here's what I want to encourage you with today. I want to encourage you that Jesus is your fully sufficient and capable shepherd. No matter what comes to you in your life. Because Jesus is always faithful. He's always present. He's always capable. He's always good. He's always just and righteous, 100%. Always. Jesus, that's Jesus. But, but me, your other elders, 
Sadly, we're not. It's not because we don't want to be. We're just, we're just not. We're not always faithful. We're not always present. We're, we're, we're not always doing the right thing. We're, we're just not. But, but this is also why elders function as a plurality sharing leadership and authority as they shepherd and oversee the, God's people. And so no, no one elder, even the paid elders, are above or better than anybody else. And, and that's why we very deeply consider the biblical expectations of someone serving as a pastor elder. We seek to have our elders exhibit those characteristics, not perfectly, but, but that an elder's life trajectory is on a path toward imitating Christ, toward imitating those qualifications, which are representations of Christ. But we do that while depending upon Christ and the gospel. And so what, is, what does Peter tell us about elders pastoring God's people? Let's look at the text. According to 1 Peter 5, there are two key words, both in verse 2. They help us see what elders do. There's different ways to say this, but here's what the Bible says. These words are shepherd and oversee. To, to shepherd is to lead and teach and care. Leading is really rooted in living in the holiness and righteousness of Christ by his grace, the grace of the gospel. That's what leading is rooted in. Our, our growth in holiness is part of the evidence of our salvation. And therefore, we must sit in the grace of the gospel. We, we must pray, asking the Holy Spirit to fill us. We must depend on God for everything, including our ability to shepherd and oversee the church. Fully dependent on God. It has to be. Uh, another way that elders shepherd is to teach. Elders teach the church God's ways. We see that in 1 Timothy 3, 2. Gives some qualifications there. And then at the end it says, able to teach. Here, here we see that an overseer, which, which is another name for elder, must be among other things, able to teach. That's a requirement of being an elder. In order to do this, elders must know what the Bible says. Because that's what we teach. We teach what the Bible says. Therefore, elders spend significant time in the Bible reading it, studying it, praying, memorizing Scripture, and then passing on to others, being a conduit of the Word to those they shepherd. Elders may teach the congregation in a variety of ways. They, they may teach a class. Uh, they may teach at youth group. They may, they may lead a life group. They, they may preach on a Sunday morning. They, they may meet regularly to disciple someone. They can teach through counseling with the word. Now a third way that elders shepherd the congregation is by care. Elders attend to the spiritual needs of church members as they have needs and request help. They, they, they reach out to other church members. They pray consistently for the church body and individual members of it. I'll tell you guys, at our elder meetings, we, we spend a significant amount of time praying for the church, praying for you guys. We love you. Elders equip and empower the staff and life groups and congregation members to meet the needs of the congregation because, because we're in it together. 
Although elders desire to be available to care for everybody in the church all the time, they, they can't. And that's one of the key reasons we're, we're doing different ministries and, and we're doing things like even starting life groups. Because, and we want them to grow so that more and more people can have a sense of shepherding and care spiritually in their lives. Elders equip and encourage the congregation to provide gospel care to one another. So that's shepherding, leading, teaching, caring. The, the second part of an elder's role is to oversee, representing, equipping, sharing leadership. I, I, I recognize that some people have different perspectives on this, but in the New Testament, uh, I, as I've studied it, the words for elder, pastor, and bishop, they describe the same office or an authoritative function of oversight. They're, they're not the same word, but they describe the same function. And, and although oversight is closely related to shepherding, oversight can be summarized by representing the mind of Christ, representing Christ to provide loving guidance for the church. That's what elders do. This involves Holy Spirit-led wisdom and counsel. It points to 1 Corinthians 2.16, which says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as, into, so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The Spirit does that. Elders are called by God to represent Christ to the congregation as best we possibly can. And, and we do this for the good of God's people and for God's glory. Elders oversee the ministry of the church primarily by equipping the church for ministry. Look, look at the screen, Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and of knowledge of the Son of God. Get, get the vision here, what, what is trying to be communicated. To mature manhood. To, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by, caring, by, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him, that's Christ, who, who, who is the head into Christ. From, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Do you see the picture that, that God's pointing to here? Do you see the unity? Do you see the love? Do you see what God is trying to do with the body? Elders equip the members of the church for the work of ministry. I, I've heard often that people view the paid pastors and the staff as the people who do the work of ministry, and it's true. Although the paid pastors and staff do ministry, we should do ministry, we do do ministry, that's only part of what Paul is actually saying here. Paul, Paul clearly indicates the role of the pastor, the role of the elders, is to, to train and equip the congregation for the work of ministry. And this is primarily done through, through prayer, Preaching, counseling, other forms of teaching in the church. And so all in all, elders must shepherd and oversee by the grace of Christ. 
Peter tells us several things about how elders are not to do it. Look at verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. It says it right here, elders are not to be under compulsion. They're, they're not to seek shameful gain. They're, they're not to be domineering. They're not to, to walk that path. They're, they're called to shepherd and oversee in such a way that they're willing, they're eager, and they're setting an example which points to Christ. Paul's first letter to Timothy furthers our vision about the how. Look at this, 1 Timothy 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So the text tells us, I, I'm not going to have time to go into all of this today, but, but the text tells us that prospective elders are to aspire or have a sense of call to the office. I, I remember when my pastor um, came to me and said, Mike, do you, do you aspire to be a pastor? Like, like do, you, do, you, do you have this urge? And I was like, I don't know. I had to process that for a while. Like initially, like I think I did, but I didn't, I didn't recognize it as that. that. That's supposed to be an elders. Elders are to be above reproach. They're to be the husband of one wife, meaning if married, they're faithful in marriage. If, if single, they're, they're faithful in singleness. There, there's no sexual immorality. Elders are to be sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, we, we could break down each of these characteristics, we could do sermons on each of them, uh, but, but they imply, ultimately, that elders must relate well to other people. Uh, another biblical distinction about elders is elders share leadership. A plurality of elders is, is that shared leadership. One, one of my greatest joys as a pastor, as I pastor the church, I do it with a team of dedicated elders. And so I, I know I'm, I'm not alone, and neither are they. We, we do this together through shared leadership. I don't want to be looked at as the lone leader. I, I would not want to pastor a church where I'm looked at as the lone leader. Because we're honestly better together. We really, really are. One, one great example of a plurality of elders and leadership is, is seen as Jesus, in Jesus' 12 disciples. But you can look throughout the Bible and you can see that God never put just one man in place to lead the church. See, the biblical practice of a plurality of elders actually allows different elders to complement one another, to, to balance one another's weaknesses because we all have them. 
If, if one is more prone to speak out and say something, another, another is quiet and thinking about things. And when they speak, people are quiet and they listen. There's so many examples of that I've seen over the years, and it's a, it's a beautiful gift to the church. It also spreads out the heavy workload of shepherding and overseeing the flock. That's a joy to have a plurality, shared leadership. But this is why Jesus gave the church this shared leadership approach. He didn't put it on just one person. And so elders as servant leaders, they know their identity is defined by Christ. It's rooted completely in the gospel. And that's why faithful elders, they go to Jesus. They they go to Jesus with their sins and failures. They go to Jesus with their insecurities and doubts. They go to Jesus to know him and represent him well. They, they go to Jesus so that, so that they can take others to Jesus too. They run to our chief shepherd, Jesus. And God, he ordained elders in the church to help us all run to Jesus. And so today, if you're suffering in some way, if you're dealing with hardship in your life, if you're struggling or trapped in sin, Maybe you're having a tough time trusting God in a, in a particular way, whatever it is. Maybe you're wrestling with how to trust someone else in your life, whether it's a, a family member, a friend, someone in the church. If that's you, remember the imperfect pastor, Peter. He knew very well what it meant to be down and out. He knew what it was to suffer even because of his own choices. He knew what it meant to drink the cup of Christ. He knew that it was Jesus Christ who gives us hope in the midst of the hardships we face in our lives. I'll show you. This is on the screen. Peter wrote this. After all this has happened in his life, he wrote about Jesus. He said, Jesus committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep, but have now Returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. As Jesus did that. Jesus is the one, each and every one of us, we put our eyes on, we fix our eyes upon him. We let him guide our steps. And I find it interesting because Peter recognized this about Jesus, that the gospel is actually a foundation through Christ. Peter wrote this at the, in, in verse, verses 10 and 11 of 1 Peter chapter 5. Hear these words. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen.
Guys, that's our hope. That's our hope because what Jesus has already accomplished for us. Friends, like Peter, run to Jesus. He's your great shepherd. Father God, in the midst of the the troubles and trials of this life, cause us to look to Jesus. Cause us to run to him and enable us by your power to find the protection and peace we need in your presence. Anoint us with joy as we partake in the sufferings of Christ in whatever way we encounter it. And remind us that after we have suffered a little while, that you, the God of all grace, will yourself restore, confirm, and strengthen and establish your people all by your amazing grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We invite you to stand with us as we we. We pray, sing, that Jesus would lead us. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us, march we need thy tender care. Just feed us for our use, thy folds prepare. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast bought us thine, we are. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus.
guys, uh, just got one more thing to do, and I, I invite you to have a seat just for a moment. I want to call Pastor Tim up because he shared uh, some news with me and the other elders this week, and I just want you to hear it from Pastor Tim. Maybe, maybe you caught this in the Flash News on Friday as well. Well, almost 17 years ago, this coming summer, it'll be 17 years, we uh, left Rochester, New York, which had been our home for 25 years. And uh, we left behind uh, a son who newly married at that time, one little baby who's now 17 years old, and, uh, and left behind Renee's parents as well. We were sure that God was calling us to go to seminary and to see if God would use us as a pastor somewhere, and, and he has. And yet, and yet leaving that day, we, we were happy to go, and yet there was grief. We, the morning we pulled out, we had three crying children in the back of the van, and, and I'm sure crying in-laws uh, in the driveway as we left their home. Um, we left behind a church that we'd been part of for 25 years, and and we knew that the future was unknown. 17 years have now passed. Renee and I are a little older. And, and so are our children, and so are Renee's parents. Uh, Renee's parents have come to a place in life now where they could use some help. If you're on the church email prayer, prayer list, then you saw last fall, perhaps, you might remember that Renee's dad had serious heart surgery then. When that happened, Renee and I began to seriously talk and wrestle and pray, should we return to take care of them, to help them at this time in their life? Uh, that wasn't easy to think about. Uh, Renee would prefer to work another year, at least. We would prefer to stay in small town Medford. We came from suburban city living to small town living, and we'd in many ways not like to go back. We love it here. And we love the church that God's given us, the friends that he's given us in you. And so it's not been easy for us to think about it. So we prayed and wrestled with one another and sought counsel from others. And we've now believed that God is leading us to retire this coming summer and move to Rochester, New York, where we used to live. We don't know exactly when that will be. Um, you have to sell a house. You have to buy a house. You have to figure out how to pack up belongings and get rid of stuff and all of that. And so, but we're praying that God would lead us to be able to move sometime in August or September. Why would we tell you now, months ahead? Because I love the work that God's doing at First Baptist Church, and I want that work that had happened, gone on long before we arrived, and I want it to continue well in the years after we're gone. And so we thought that telling you early would let you begin to plan for what a future without us being here would be like and be able to make that adjustment with God's grace better than if we told you and gave you 30-day notice. So we're letting you know well in advance. Uh, we're glad that today is not goodbye, although it is big news for us. And so the last thing I want to say is that we love you.
guys. I've loved working with this man. What a joy to my heart. Um, yeah, to, to some that, that may be hard to hear, shocking to hear. Um, some others may, may have been anticipating that. Um, but, but yeah, we want to we wanna pray for the Beckers. We want to, so, so let's do that over the next few months. Let's pray for the Beckers. Uh, we want to pray for our church. God, God builds his church, and he will continue to do so year after year. And, and so if, if I want to invite you, if you have any specific questions for Pastor Tim or Renee, please, please go to them. And anything about their transition or move or those sorts of things, they'll be here for a while, like he said. Um, but, but feel free to go to them and talk with them about it if, if you have questions or just want to share something with them. Uh, if you have ch- questions about, okay, what, what does the future of the church look like? Or what are we going to do with this? Come, come and talk with me. I would love to talk with you about that. I'd love to even hear your thoughts about that. Um, but, but we're going to wait upon the Lord and pray. And this is even part of, you know, again, why, why Pastor Tim gave the notice that he did. That, that we can wait upon the Lord and pray and seek God's direction um, as a church. And so I invite you to be part of that. Um, thank you guys so much. It's a joy to serve here with you. And as you go this week, may the, may the God of hope, may he fill you. May he fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Today and tomorrow and all the days of your life, this life and the life that is to come. Amen. Take care, church.